This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. Every plant that is not of his of our Father is uprooted. In the name of Jesus. Father, we give you thanks. We declare healing for every troubled mind. We declare healing for infirm bodies. We declare light for every heart that is in darkness. In the name of Jesus. We declare freedom for everyone that is held back, held down by whatever situation. Freedom. In the name of Jesus. Freedom in the name of Jesus. Father, I'll give you thanks. Praise God. Hallelujah. Principles of the kingdom. The series continues. So, um, continues today. Hallelujah. And then we'll um, most likely finish next Sunday. I would like also, I'll say a lot of things today and next Sunday. Hallelujah. The kingdom of God, the principles of the kingdom of God is the same series we are continuing. Hallelujah. It's not a new series, it's the same series. So please make sure make the adjustments on YouTube and put them together. Hallelujah. We started by saying, today's the fourth part, right? Is it the fourth or the fifth? Fourth. We started by saying uh, that um, John predicted that the kingdom of God comes with a person. Matthew chapter 3. Um, I should also show you guys something here. Share brought something to my attention um, last week or the week before. So it's good that um, I made up my mind I have to show you guys. So we began by saying that the kingdom of God comes with a person. Hallelujah. John chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness and saying, Repent, for the kingdom has come near. For the kingdom has come near. This is who, who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the paths for him. Hallelujah. The kingdom comes with the person. However, I think when I was preaching, I must have told you guys, I must have said that um, this is he who was spoken of, that he was speaking of the Lord that was coming. That is actually incorrect. You know, you drew my attention to it and um, the reading was not correct. It is more accurate to say that the he spoke of John the Baptist. Hallelujah. However, the the what do you call it the teaching is the same praise god are we together the teaching is the same this is he who was spoken of if you see luke chapter one mark chapter one john chapter one is the same thing this is he who was spoken of he, this is he who was spoken of the he refers to john the baptist a voice calling of the one in the wilderness so where the issue was was that the he you know the he i, ref, I refuse to refer to the lord that the way was being prepared for but the he refers to the voice calling in the wilderness. Do you understand that? In that prophecy, there are two he's there. There's the voice and there's the Lord. Do you understand? It's more accurate to say that the he is the voice, not the Lord. However, the, the, the point is the same. Repent for the kingdom of God has come near. A voice is calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So that kingdom that is coming near is the Lord that is coming. Do you understand that? And so that's why, just like we said in, in, in chapter 4, um, at the end of chapter 4, the Bible tells us that um, 
Isaiah prophesied that the land of Zulom and the land of Natalai, in the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles, is the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of shadow of death, a light has dawned. And then from that time, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Hallelujah. So the presence of Jesus is the presence of the kingdom. Hallelujah. That was the first point that we made. I hope it's clear. Praise God. You know, we like to, um, we, we like to, as a church, you know, we it's important to us that we are accurate and that we are on point with God's word. Just that we're together. It's important to us, so we must always be faithful to that. Amen. So we said that um, the kingdom is a person, or the kingdom comes with a person. And so the kingdom and the person are inseparable, right? We, are we together, church? Come on, I need your response. We said that it is the will of God, right? Praise God. The kingdom of the kingdom of God is the will of God that is in heaven that God wants us to do on earth. Hallelujah. We said that it is a future life and a present life that a man can have. A man can have that life now and, can, and will have it again in a future life. Hallelujah. So that means that it is those that have it now that will have it then. Do you understand? You cannot say you will not have it now and then, then you will have it. And you cannot say you will have it now and then you will not have it. Praise God. So if you have it now, you will have it then. If you don't have it now, you will not have it then. So you cannot say you have it now and you will not, and you will not have it then. But you cannot say... Um, uh, you know, I don't have it now, and then I will have it then. Praise God. He that has it, has it. As long as he stays in it. <laughs> Praise God. He that has it, does, does what? Has it. He that has it at the point before he stands before the Lord in judgment, has it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Today is not, not, this is not the purpose. Just get the message. We said, number four, that it is proclaimed as a message. So people are going to receive it because it's proclaimed as a message. This kingdom is received and proclaimed as a message. And we said that the kingdom is entered by believing that message that is proclaimed. That's point number five. The kingdom is entered by believing that message that is proclaimed. And number six, we said that that kingdom comes with what? Great power. It is not in words. It is not in drink. It is not in dancing and just talking. It actually comes with great power. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's read it again. Let's just start from there. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. Jesus was speaking to Simon and he said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not what overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be what lost in heaven. So, if you have the keys, if you have access to the kingdom of heaven, if you, he said, "I will," at that time he had not yet, but when he rose, obviously he now received it. Praise God. So, those that have the kingdom, those that have access to the kingdom, those that are in the kingdom, whatever they bind on earth is what bound in heaven. Obviously, this is not, um, this statement was not, um, even though he was primarily speaking to Peter at the time, the implication spreads to all believers. Do you understand that? So that's not to say that it's only Peter that whatever he binds on earth can be bound in heaven. 
because in another place, Jesus tells us that whenever we pray together as a church, he was speaking, actually speaking ahead. Those are things we'll talk about later. He was actually speaking ahead about the church because in that part, he was referring to how church Christians should conduct themselves with regards to the church. That's why he now said earlier in those parts of the scripture, he'll say, if your brother offends, you don't go outside. Those are the things that Apostle Paul was referring to in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and chapter 7, chapter 5 and chapter 6. Are we together? He was, talk, he was actually talking about Christian conduct of the church to come. We will talk about that another time. So that's why when he was speaking there, he said, when two or three of you are gathered together, whatever you bound on earth is what bind in the world, on earth is also what bound in heaven. So when he was speaking to Peter here, he was not saying that it's only Peter that has power. Praise God. That's why in another place, look at Mark chapter, chapter 9. I like this one also. Mark chapter 9. Verse 1. Jesus was prophesying. He now said, he said to them, truly, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom has come. With what? Power. When the kingdom comes, it will come with what? Power. He was speaking to the apostles. And I was saying that some, so many of, them th- many of them thought that the kingdom, he was, because you know what Jesus said? You know I told you guys? The way Jesus thought about the kingdom was very compressed. It's when you read the epistles, you now see a lot of explanation of those things he said in condensed form. So at this time, there were actually people that thought that here he was saying the kingdom will come. He was talking about that future world. But if they were listening well, like we have seen, the kingdom of God is not just the future life that is coming. There's also the life that is what? Now. So when he was saying that some of you will not taste death until you see the kingdom come with power. So they were thinking that he was talking about that kingdom that is to come. But if they were paying attention, they would have known that it's also that kingdom that has come now. And I said some of you will not die. Some of you will not die until you have seen that kingdom that's to come now with power. And they did. They all saw the Holy Spirit come. They saw God, uh, you know, manifest in them. And it was manifest with what? Power. But that's not the, you know, that's not the major point. That one is um, of eschatological implication. This is the point. He said, you will not see death, you will not taste death until you see that the kingdom has come with what? Power. So whenever the kingdom of God shows up, power also does what? Show up because it's coming with God. It is basically the presence of God. Let's just, you know, I've been trying to lead you guys on small, small, so that you can really, you understand, enjoy the teaching. But let's just say it as it is. The kingdom of God is the presence of God. The kingdom of God is the presence of God. That's why it's called the kingdom, where God is ruling. And wherever God is present, he's also what? Ruling. So the kingdom of God is the presence of God. That's why it is a life you have now because the Holy Spirit is inside of you and it's also a life that you have then when we are with him. Do you understand that? That's why it comes with a person, Jesus, because the presence of Jesus is the presence of the kingdom. That is why it is the will of God that is in heaven that should be done on earth. God wants to tabernacle with men. That's why when he was called, he called him Emmanuel, God with us. It is the will of God. That God tabernacles with man. That God is present with man. Praise God. It is proclaimed as a message. We teach people and let people know that there is a work that God wants to do or that God has been working since the beginning of time where God wants to tabernacle with man. Where men and through the prophets, they prophesied in different kinds of ways. And they will say certain things like in the last days, the temple of God shall be exalted above every other hill and all the nations will flow into you. What does that mean? All the nations will flow to the presence of God. All the prophecies about the coming of Jesus is basically about God tabernacling with man. Hallelujah. Praise God. When we say it is believed by entering the message, it's the same thing. You receive God's presence, God begins to dwell inside of you by, be- by, believing, <laughs> by believing his proposal. Hallelujah. When God proposes to you, you receive the proposal. 
and his presence now becomes with you. Hallelujah. So, I know I've been trying to lead you guys so I can enjoy the teaching, but see, let me just say it before we get to the end. The kingdom of God is the presence of God. The kingdom of God is the tabernacling of God with men. And so that's why it comes with power. That's why wherever the presence of God is, it's not in talk. It's with power. Hallelujah. And so that's why we get to the next point, point number seven. Point number seven. It now says that the glory of the kingdom far exceeds the law and the prophets. It far exceeds everything that has come before. Which makes perfect sense. Matthew chapter 11. Look at the way the Lord speaks about it. Look at the way he talks about the kingdom. Matthew chapter 11. From verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare the way before you. Guys, can I see it again? That he was referring to who? John the Baptist. Hallelujah. Verse 11. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John the Baptist was the greatest of the old. Do you know why? Because none of them saw God tabernacling with man. They saw God tabernacling by man, so to speak. I'm speaking in a sense for you to understand that it was not permanent. None of them ever saw God tabernacling with man. Hallelujah. Praise God. This will be a pastor. This will be learning. None of them saw God tabernacling with man. But guess what? John the Baptist did something or experienced something that was in between that none of you in the old experienced. That means that he was able to point to the person that will actually bring the presence of God to tabernacle with man. So, Jesus is now telling us something. The glory of every dispensation is directly proportional to how much of God's presence those people see. Do you understand that? Because the presence of God is glory. God is the one that dwells in unseeable glory. So, the amount of greatness in the dispensation is the amount of God's presence that is in that dispensation. Do you understand what I just said now? So, because of that, John the Baptist was the greatest because he was the one that was able to see a dimension of God's presence that none of them saw, which is God in the flesh and identified him. But guess what? What we have seen is even greater than what John the Baptist saw. Because John the Baptist saw him coming, but he did not see God existing inside of him. We now, we actually have that person he pointed to inside of us. So the least among us, hmm? the least among us who have God inside him is still better than John the Baptist. But guess what? John the Baptist is still better than Elijah. Because John the, Elijah was still hearing, he was still imagining. He was saying, hey, time is coming, Isaiah, hey, time is coming. John the Baptist saw it like this. But we, we have him inside. Hallelujah. So that's why the glory of our own dispensation far exceeds their own. The glory of our own dispensation far exceeds their own. And that's why 
There's almost all the things that they saw that were the manifestation of God tabernacling beside them at the time, them seeing the presence of God, but in an external sense, right? All those things are child's play compared to us today. That's why there's a way that you be careful not to read too much awe into some things. Praise God. Hallelujah. Because many of the things that they saw that, was, that were wonderful, that were awesome, are actually child's play for us today. They, they were so alienated from hearing the voice of God. The voice of God was so external to them that when God came on a mountain and spoke, they said, we cannot hear this voice. You go and hear God for us because we are scared and we are trembling. But guess what? We constantly, that children of God, say as many as are led by children of God, they are the what? Sons of God. That voice that they were hearing that they were so scared of that they were running away from, we, that are children of God, is constantly speaking to us on our inside. It's so much that every time you ask yourself, am I a child of God? The answer you hear is the Holy Spirit speaking. <laughs> oh God, you didn't hear what I said now. Ah! You didn't hear what I said now. That's why he says that his spirit cries out from our hearts, saying what? Abba, Father. Witnessing that we are children of God. So even if you want to say, hey, I've never heard God tell me who to marry. Because that's what people always ask God for, direction for. That's you don't ever ask God for any other thing. Even if you've not heard God telling you who to marry. Every time you ask yourself, am I a child of God? And you say, I know I'm a child of God. Do you know who answered? Do you know who answered? You think it's yourself? It's the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And meanwhile, some people, when they heard that thing, they were scared, they ran away. The glorify exceeds. You see power, demonstration of power. What did they do? What did they do, really? Look at it. Okay, we raised some dead, we can count. Ah, nowadays, you know, since the days of the apostles, not Martin. What did they do? They, they never spoke in tongues. All the things you can talk about. All the things. Elisha will come and say, ah, Gehazi, there are many with us. So you cannot see. I say, oh God, open his eyes. I just saw angels. Hey, we are many. We are okay. You normal believers meeting. You don't be seeing angels anyhow. Praise God. There is, you know, revelation. Understanding and insight into God's word. Those guys were seeing some things and they didn't, they didn't understand. You either to tell Daniel, just write it down, even though you don't understand. The people that will understand, they are coming. Write it down like that. Hallelujah. But now you can read God's word and rich people tell you, yeah, this is what he said. The glory far exceeds the former. So when Jesus said, the least of us is greater than them, right? Um, when Apostle Paul will now explain it, look at the way he said it. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter 3. From verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, I just... I just did like my, my father. My father used to do that in a lot. So you guys also see. Which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of his glory. Transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. With, that, with the surpassing glory, and if what was transitory claimed with glory, how much more greater is the glory of that which was last? Hallelujah. 
Praise God. So the kingdom of God, the glory of the kingdom, far exceeds that which came before. Praise God. So if you are going to read the old, make sure you read it as a pointer to the greater glory that you have now. Not as a higher level that you have not entered. Do you understand that? You know, as you can read and say, look at, look at Elijah. Look at the way the man did. We too, we, mm, calm down. Elijah is there now looking at you with envy. With a great host of witnesses. You can't be looking at him and be saying, ah, what a man. Praise God. I will together, church. So, that's point seven. Now, point number eight. In the kingdom, there are different degrees of reward. It's very important you understand this. In the kingdom, there are different degrees of reward, both now and in the world to come. The kingdom of God is the presence of God. And in the presence of God, there are varying degrees of the reward. Varying degrees of what you can draw from him. Praise God. Let's check the scriptures first and I will explain it well. Matthew chapter 5. From verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least of the stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is what accomplished. Please, guys, before I continue, I will not do I will do what to continue to remind you. Because every dispensation have their own challenges. And this is one of the challenges of our own dispensation. Please do not say that the law and the prophet was not God's word. Please do not say the law and the prophet were the words of angels. I will not cease to remind you guys. Don't say it. Please. Don't say the people in old did not know, did not see well. So they wrote rubbish. Please don't say it. It's not true. It's actually heresy. It's just that using that word is strong and it makes people want to fight. But it's actually heresy. The law and the prophets, no one jot will pass away. Not one jot. And, and Jesus used the very strong word. You know one word jot is? It means one dot. And not one title. One title is, we say title, but it's actually title. One title is actually when the Jews are writing. Have you seen Jewish script before? One part when they do a kind of superscript on the writing. Say not one. So that means that when you see the Lord and the prophet, you see it and I just take it like that. As God's word. Please, let's continue. Therefore, verse 19. Anyone who sets aside one of the list of these commands... And teaches others accordingly will be least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus now says that you actually have a low reward when you discountenance the law and the prophets. And those that honor the law and the prophets will actually be great in God's kingdom. Verse 24, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So the righteousness, all the righteousness of the people of the Pharisees and teachers of the law was people using their good to get good, right? And so they are, the, the, the best of their righteousness was their righteousness. Do you understand that? Guys, are you with me? The righteousness of the law and the, of, the, of the Pharisees and teachers of the law was their what? Righteousness. That was their righteousness. 
but your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. What is your righteousness? The righteousness of God. So that is the reason why you're in the kingdom of heaven. The righteousness of God exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, and that is why you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven except your righteousness is God's righteousness. Do you understand that? That's a side, but let's go back to the main point that I want to draw here. It says there, will be, there are some that will be least in the kingdom. It's not um, Jesus whining us to paint a picture. The apostles explain better. You will see. Those that discountenance the law and the prophets will be the least in the kingdom. Do you know why? Because they will not act and they would not act accordingly as they should. And because they would not act accordingly as they should, the reward that they will get for their actions will be of inferior quality. The results they will get in their Christian conduct will be of inferior quality. And so those that honor the scriptures will be the ones that will get maximum reward because they would give themselves and they will act in accordance to the scriptures. So some people can be least in the kingdom. You know, you already even said it when I was talking about John the Baptist. He said the least amongst us. What he meant by least is not in terms of identity or in terms of what? Reward. The least is not in terms of identity and value. It's in terms of reward. We are all children of God in that sense. So we are therefore all equal in that sense. So there's neither Jew nor Greek in the sense of identity. But in the sense of reward, we are not mates. This is what it means. First Corinthians. The epistles help us to understand it better. First Corinthians chapter 10. Chapter 3 from verse 10. First Corinthians chapter 3 from verse 10. For by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than that, other than the one already laid, which is what? Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this, what or for, sorry? If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be rebuilt, revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each one's work. The fire will test the quality of each one's what? Work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be what? Saved, even though only, only as one escaping through the flames. So in identity, we are all one. But in work, there can be a least and there can be what? Greatest. So that's why on that day, every man will enter the presence of God in heaven. But there will be reward. Some will do well. Some will receive a greater reward. And some will receive less. But guess what? Don't forget what I said. Because that kingdom is a life now. And is a life to come. Even now. Even now. There are measures of reward. So that's why Apostle Paul will tell us in the book of Galatians. That he that sowed to the flesh will of the flesh report corruption. But he that sows to the spirit will of the spirit do what? Reap eternal life. That's why even in our conduct now, we can see it. That's why if a person is discerning, 
if a person is discerning and can and his value systems and his metrics of judgment are in alignment with scriptures, what happens is that even before judgment day, you can watch what a man is doing as a Christian. And you, that is the basis of teaching. You can actually tell now that what a man is building is problematic and is not good. And you can warn them ahead so that they can build something good for before they stand before Jesus. Do you understand what I just said now? That means that it's not till that day that you now say, ah, we don't know those that God will reward well. From now, from the scriptures, we can know those that are building gold and we can know those that are building straw. By looking at scriptures now, that is the essence of ministry. That's the essence of all the ministry that we are doing. That's the essence of apostles, evangelists, prophets, pastors, and teachers. A man can look at the scriptures and can tell now, if not, how do we even know that what we are building as a person is good? How do we know that what you are building is good? It's not scriptures I'll tell you. So in the same way, we can judge what a man's work is now. Hallelujah. And so that's why Jesus now said earlier that those that don't honor the scriptures, they will be less. Because it is in the scriptures that you can know how to build good work. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? It is from the scriptures that you can know how to build good work. So those that discountenance the scriptures will not build well. They will be lesser. Their work will be burned. They will be saved, but their work will be what? Burned. That's what I was explaining, that the opposite, the correction of legalism is not, at least in an Armenian perspective, in a non-reformed setting. The correction of legalism is not eternal security. Do you understand that? Where some people have had error is that they will say, just because your work is not good, you are not saved. You understand what I said now? This is legalism. Trying to have your own righteousness. And you tell people that just because their work is not good, they are not saved. The opposite of because your work is not good, you are not saved, is not no matter what you do. You are saved. That's not the opposite. The opposite is you are saved, but your work will be what? Burned. Church, all together. Praise God. So, there are varying forms of degrees, um, degrees of reward. So, that means that even now, as you are kind the presence of God, now that you're in the kingdom of God, how much you draw, how much, how well you do, what you reap in your Christian conduct is a function of how you conduct yourself in accordance with scripture. And so that's why everything about the believer's life is actually about them, is, is an endless cycle of sowing and reaping to the spirit or to the flesh. I remember I taught a message some years ago in Ecuador. See, the best way to predict your outcome in life, hmm? the best way to predict your outcome, you know we are not God, so we cannot have a view of all the possible scenarios that we can have in the world. But there is a way that you can predict your future to a large extent. Do you want to know that way? Do you want to know? You don't look like you want to know. Who wants to know? Let me teach you how to predict your future. Hmm? It is the same thing that a farmer does. No farmer goes to his farm and says, Eh, Kelly, Mezke, ah, Yamke, ah, no, Mangoke. How is this possible? Has it ever happened before? 
In case you don't know, I'm a farmer's child. I'm a farmer myself, so I know. It does not happen. Do you know why? Because it's what he planted that he will find here. If you want to predict your outcome as a person, do you know what it is? As a child of God, do you know what it is? It is to sow certain kinds of seeds because those seeds, we will reap them. That is your best chance of predicting your future. That's why Bishop Rico will say things like, there's nothing happening in my life now that I'm surprised about. It sounds like pride, but he knows what he's saying. Your best chance at predicting your future as a Christian is to determine the kind of seeds that you are sowing into your life. If you sow certain kinds of seeds into your life, you will see certain kinds of things in your future. If you want to predict a life of walking in the supernatural, you're going to tell yourself, in the future, I will walk in the supernatural. Eh? You don't need to go to a soothsayer or a prophet to tell you. You know what you do now? Start swimming to the spirit now. You know what I just said now? Did you hear what I said now? You can actually sit down and predict your future and say, I will have a good marriage. Do you know how to do that? You start sowing into it now. Start sowing good values into yourself that will enable you to also recognize what? Good values. You say, I'm going to live a life of, no worry, after you say that, I'm going to talk about money. I'm going to live a life of financial independence and sufficiency. Don't forget, notice I did not say rich. Because there are two different things. Because rich implies relativity. It means that somebody has to be poorer than you. But God is not doing competition. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm going to help you guys. Notice I did not say rich. Because that word rich has too much baggage. There's a problem with that word. That's why Jesus said that those that, cannot, that's those that want to be rich, they cannot really enter. We'll talk about it next Sunday. Those that want to be rich, they cannot really enter the kingdom. It's <laughs> a problem. Why? Because that word implies that there are some people that will be, that you are going to have money at their expense. So when the apostles are telling us our financial situation, they will say things like prosper. They will say financially independent and sufficient so that you don't need anything from anybody, so that nobody can come and harass you, so that you can be on your own and you can be proud. Those are, that's a good way of describing what the will of God is for believers. Because if you go to the UK now and you are doing plumber work there, right? It's not as if plumber work is bad, but I'm, I'm trying to use the things that um, you people don't take seriously in Nigeria, things that affect people's mind in terms of status. You can go to the UK now and what you are calling plumber work, eh? You'll be using to build mansion in your village in Nigeria. So you are a rich man. Are you me now? Did you guys get what I just said? You can be a drug pusher and you are rich. <laughs> Are we together? You can be all kinds of things. But that's not what the will of God is. Oh. The will of God is not for us to be rich that there has to be other people that don't have money as much as us. Because the word rich implies that there are some people that are less. And it, also, it implies that God wants you to have more money than some people. That's not what God wants. They say God wants us to be rich. You are, as, you are saying that God wants you to have more money than some people. God is not interested in competing with how much money people have. Do you know what God wants? 
God wants you as a person to be financially self-sufficient. That you don't have to beg anybody. You don't have to borrow. That your needs are met. Arriving at that position is not just a function of how much money you have because how much money that is coming into you is a part of it. But that's not the only part. There's also the other part of contentment. We'll talk about that next. Do you understand? Where was I? You can actually look into your future and predict and say, I will be financially self-sufficient. I will be independent and I'll never need to beg. You can look at your future and predict that. And do you know how you get yourself there? You begin to sow seeds towards that. So, in that sense, to the extent of the agency that God has given us, you can actually determine your outcomes to a good extent. Did you I just said now? So, that's why in this life, in this kingdom, eh, we are all in the kingdom, but there are varying degrees of reward. And that's why there's also varying degrees of honor. Because Paul tells us that you should give unto some people what? Double honor. Some people have labored. That's what I was telling you guys some weeks ago. The marker of seniority and honor in this kingdom is not the amount of revelation knowledge. You know what I just said? The marker of honor. The, the things that we use to honor people, seniority and eldership in this kingdom is not by the amount of spiritual gifts you exercise. It's not about the amount of revelation knowledge. It's not a matter of your giftings. It's a matter of your work. It's a matter of your testimony. So it is the elders who have labored that are worthy of what? Double honor. The elder might not have revs like you. He might not have moves like you. He might not have Greek and he might not have stuff. But he has what? Labored. And so he's worthy of what? Double honor. You will keep your gifts and your agalio in one corner when Pastor Debu is talking. Do you hear what I just said now? Did you hear what I said now? When all these elders that have labored, forget, eh? they, didn't, they didn't labor perfectly. They made some mistakes. Let's wait for your own. Let's see how your own labor will be. Let's see. All these men that have gone ahead. See, their labor means something. Their labors mean something. And we honor them based on their labor. And that's why when Apostle Paul finished everything, he said, let no man trouble me. Because I bear the marks of what? Christ on my body. Don't be bringing some rubbish talk near me. I'm not your mates. Some of us have suffered. You can't just be talking now. Varying degrees of what? Reward. Church out together. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so that's why he also says that evildoers will not enter that kingdom. That's the ninth point. Evildoers will not enter that kingdom. But the reason why they will not enter that kingdom is because they are not in that kingdom now. Do you understand? It's not that the evildoers were in the kingdom now and then when that kingdom came, they now, um, they did not allow them to enter. Whether then or now, they did not enter. Look at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 from verse 24. 
He says, and Jesus told another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed wheat among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest at that time. I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in a bundle to be burned, then gather the weeds and bring them into my barn. Do you see that very beautiful story? This story is series on its own. Maybe one day I will use it to teach a message. Let me just speak still with the scope of the message that it applies to. See, there are some weeds among us. Eh? God has not uprooted them yet. Because they are among us and God has not uprooted them, we or they, and all of us can be deceiving ourselves that are in the kingdom, but they're not in the kingdom. And so on that day, when God now says, depart from me, you because of iniquity, we're not together. Do you understand? It will, not be, it will not be as if, that's what some people have read and misunderstood and taken into legalism. It will not be like as if on that day, that's when God now said, I'm weighing your works to determine how much or whether it will be enough for you to enter the kingdom. This parable that the kingdom of heaven is like is explained to us from the beginning that even while they were growing with the wheat, they were already weeds. Do you understand that? They were never going to be in the kingdom. So it's not because on that day their work was not enough that God now said, no, stay. It's because even while they were with us, they were workers of iniquity. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So they will not enter the kingdom then because they are not part of the kingdom now. They may be among us, but they are not of us. They may be among us, but they are not of us. So that's why in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Apostle Paul begged Timothy, he says, Guy, say, please preach this gospel in the name of God who will judge the living and the dead. Please preach this gospel. Please preach this gospel. Because there are many that are amongst us, but they are weeds. God has not uprooted them. And there's good reason why. Because uprooting them can do harm to the weeds. <laughs> See? Hmm? There are some people that are holding mic and are holding pulpits that are not among us, but they are not from us. And they are preaching. And they have large followings. I've been there before. I know it is possible. Should I tell you people how I know? When I was in 200 level, I started watching House, that series on medicine. And that one, his own work is abusing Christianity. And they're talking about how evolution is the reason. And obviously today now, when I think about enrichment, I'm like, what kind of foolish things that but it affected me? One day, when I went to class, Professor Shokun be very brilliant in neurosurgeon. Brilliant. The man has removed nail from a person's brain without any neurological deficits. Brilliant neurosurgeon. The guy came to teach us about the anatomy of the brain. The hindbrain, the midbrain, and the forebrain. And talked about how those different parts of the brain have different kinds of work. And actually follows the evolutionary plane. How it went from fish brain to reptile brain to mammal brains. And actually follows how our you know, hindbrain, midbrain, and forebrain follows. You will never forget that teaching. I can't forget that teaching. How many years after? This is like... 2008 to now is how many years? 14 years. I can't forget that lecture. 
the man explained it well. You look you know, now during medical school and you are reading everything and everything in the textbook is telling you about evolution, how we evolved this and we evolved that. <laughs> you will now be watching house and be watching TV and they'll be telling you about how there's no God. And I was going to church. And I was a leader in the church. And in my heart, I was not sure that God exists. I have a friend that I'm testified to it. I'm not sure. At that time, I was now being tossed about by every wind of doctrine. I joined some guys, you know, went for their camp meetings, and then, they, okay, they had good meetings, and then at a point, the pastor now says some things like, Jesus is a man. I'm like, what kind of? As in, at that time, it was like problem everywhere. Don't look at me, because you know the person I'm talking about. You know, everything was just bad brain in my head. I'm not going to lie to you. At that time, I was not even sure what I believed, but I was in church and I was preaching. Now, if in the innocence of my heart that was possible, me, I know, based on my experience, that there are some people that they don't believe it. I do be preaching. But guess what? Guess what? If we uproot that person, eh? It will affect many people. That's why you see some ministers will make some mistakes in terms of, you know, the scandals and all that. And some people will use that one and enter bush. I don't even believe in God again. That's how these pastors are always doing. He abused me. You will now start laboring. The pastor is not a representation of God. Don't use that one to judge. Can you call the next thing? Radical feminist on Twitter. I'm sorry to say, but you know that's how it follows. That's what many of them are always forming is the reason. See, I was in church and they abused me. I was this one and that one. I was one to the thread that someone that was very, very sad. How does this pastor be held in she held in a high esteem in our church and everything? Only for the pastor to call her to one side. In our room, I was doing all kinds of things. And I was like, hey, see, there's some ways that if you approve them, it will affect the widow. So you just say, you know what? Just believe in them. Because even the weeds themselves, eh? Maybe they will still, eh, even the weeds themselves, maybe mercy can catch them and they will turn to weeds. But on that day, you will now separate them from each other. So if you understand this, when the apostles are explaining some things, you will now know that when the apostles are explaining those things, they are not saying that a Christian, a child of God, can go to hell. What they are saying is people amongst us that are evildoers that are thinking that because they are among us, they can. Let me show you what I mean. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Look at what Apostle Paul says. Or do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters nor adulterers nor men who have sex with men. <laughs> hey. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know why it's only men you talked about. <laughs> Look at what he now says. Verse 11. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed and you were what? Sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our what? God. Do you understand that? So when Apostle Paul is saying, all these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. eh? It's not to say that a child of God will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying that people that act like that are not children of God. And as I was telling you some time ago, if you see someone living like this, not that they stumbled. You know, you can a person can stumble. 
But if you see someone living like this, eh? It is legitimate to ask if they are saved. Do you understand that? It's not by being in church. This is what our fathers were saying then, that, you know, when you understand them better now, you understand that not just accuse them, they are legalistic. That's what they were saying. You know, then they will say all those kind of things. That all of you are coming to church, not all of you that go to heaven. You know, they used to say those kind of things. All of you are seated here today, but not all of you get to heaven. All of you is scared. Hey, God, is he pointing to me? You know, that kind of thing. You know, with maturity, when you understand that now, and you want to refine it well, you can understand better. That these people, all of you gather together. Are you sure? <laughs> Praise God. But as for the people I'm seeing here, Shah, I'm, I'm, I have, I have, I'm, 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 I'm okay. I think you guys are, you guys are saved. <laughs> Praise God. First Corinthians chapter 15. Chapter 15. Hey, my time is up. Chapter 15, verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor, des- nor does the perishable in- inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkle of an eye, and the last trumpet for the trumpet to sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. For the perishable will must itself with imperishable and mortality with immortality. Praise God. Hallelujah. Okay, let me just stop there. Let me just stop there. Praise God. So, evil will not enter the kingdom of God. Evil does not enter the kingdom of God because evil doers are currently not in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And let me just end on this note. And so that is the reason why it is possible for certain teachers to obscure the kingdom. It is possible for people that have influence over other people to make it hard for other people to enter the kingdom of God. And so that's why we must be wary. Look at something. Matthew chapter 23. I'll just end on this note. Matthew chapter 23, from verse 13 to 24, says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the, prof- and the, and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the, he- the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's face- faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who are enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. So some people... They are teachers of the law. We know them as the big people. Jesus said they will not enter the kingdom. And they will not let other people to enter. He says, what to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make him pay twice as much as a child of hell as you are. <laughs> so people are children of hell and they are instructors of people. There are some children of hell that are instructors of other people. And they will now be showing themselves for the discerning. If you're a discerning person, you can tell. It will come out in the doctrine. They will win a convert and make the convert twice a candidate of hell as they are. They say things and do things to take advantage of people. He says, woe to you blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by the oath. Did you see that? He was telling them, don't swear by the temple. <laughs> but you can swear by the gold. <laughs> so when you watch someone and you can see a lot of irrationality in the doctrine and the teaching. So they will seem to affirm some correct things. And on the other hand, affirm some incorrect things that are incongruent. So, by affirming the correct things, it will look like as if they are 
real men of God. But if you are paying attention, you will see how they are going to slip in other things through it. So that's why 90% water and 10% poison is still what? Poison. He says, you blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift of the altar is bound by the oath. And this is another very interesting thing. One of the greatest markers of false prophets is materialism. You see that? Now you will know these evil Pharisees. It's gold. Gift of the other. It's always money. That's their problem. Money issues. You will see, they will be sounding good in some doctrines. But when it comes to money, eh, it will now turn as right side. Some things will be sounding good, sounding good. But when it now comes to money, you just start hearing Sibridi, uh, Sibridi. Look at Verse 20, therefore anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and on and on and on and on. Verse 23 even goes on to say, what to you, you give a tenth of your spices, but you neglect the more important matters. Hallelujah. Let me end on this note. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. From verse 42. If anyone causes one of these little ones, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble. So this is what I was telling you guys. Have you hear me? Those that believe in him can stumble. You have to be careful. He would define stumbling going forward. Look at it. He says, it would be better for them if a large milestone were hung around their neck and they were drowned into the sea. So, those that are causing those to believe, to stumble, eh? Better for them to tie stone to their neck and drown them in the sea, isn't it? Those are the false teachers. Now, look how he now says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into what? Hell, where the fire never goes out. So what is stumbling there? Do you see what stumbling means? What is the implication of stumbling? Going to hell. Stumbling is not a play. So don't try to redefine the stumbling and say, what it means by stumble is that you just believe the wrong things. It is more than that. Let God be true and let every man be a liar. When he says, if you cause, cause these little ones to stumble, he defines what the stumbling is. He now says it's better for you to cut off your hand if it's going to pre- cause you to stumble than for it to let you take you into hell. Better for you to enter life maimed, incomplete, than for you to go to hell. So stumbling, when you see the apostle talk about stumbling, they're not just saying, eh, eh, it means he's believing the wrong thing. He's telling you that a person can stumble. That means that a person can stumble, reject what they once believed. If stumbling did not have any serious implication, the apostles do not spend so much time warning against it. Stumbling is a big deal. He now says, and if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into what's hell. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into what's hell. But let's go back to where it starts from. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble. So when he's talking about hand and leg and eyes, he's talking about people. He's not talking about Netflix. Yes, that's what we always say. Say, um, if this one will cause you to stumble, it means Netflix will cut it off. That's not what he's talking about. If you read it well in context, it says, if anyone is a person, causes you to stumble. So that means that he expects you to separate yourself from people who are seeing things that can cause your faith to stumble. Do you understand? 
It's not Netflix that is your problem. It's like chasing shadows. That's why you have said you, have, you stop watching Netflix, I'll stop doing this one, I'll stop doing that one, and then you are, your life is still in problem. You understand? It's not by that. So there are some people that can cause others, people that believe to stumble. He says you should separate yourself from death. And so that's why we have a duty. That's why Apostle Paul say things like, it is better for you to be eating with unbelievers. But if a Christian is behaving like an unbeliever, eh? he says don't even eat with them. It's people. People, 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 people. It's not eh, my car will make you go, your car cannot make you go to hell. You will enter private jets, you will not go to hell. That's not the problem. It's people. People. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, cut off people. Cease, like, by cutting off, obviously, it means cease fellowship with people who are saying things that can be a stumbling block to your faith. Do you understand that now? So, if a person is constantly saying some things that is contrary to your faith, so that's okay. So that's it's good. I even correct this. Um, I, I explained well. So I'm not saying Netflix itself is not your problem, but if there's a show in Netflix where someone is saying things to you that's causing your faith to stumble, then you do what? You seize it off. It's people. It's people. Praise God. Are we together, church? May I know you will not stumble. In the name of Jesus. I say, me, I know that you will not stumble. That's why the apostles give us assurances that God also is not just looking at you and for you to be going anywhere. God also is actively, I just cooperate with him. God is also actively trying to lift you up and carry you so that you will not stumble. God is also actively working with you. Just cooperate with him. If your heart is with him, if your volition is not corrupted, if your heart is with God, Jesus is committed. He will send you men. He will send you resources that will prevent you from stumbling. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. So, the kingdom of God is the presence of God. You are in the kingdom of God already. You carry the kingdom of God. There are no external principles that will make that kingdom of God to show in your life the more. There are no external principles by which will make the kingdom of God to uh, be around in the different spheres of influence the political spheres and the media spheres and all those places. If you want the kingdom of God to come back into any sphere, what do you do? Get men saved in that sphere. Do you understand what I'm just saying now? Did you hear what I just said now? Let the church bring the kingdom into people's lives. Let those people go to those places and get other men saved. That is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not when a Christian becomes the president of this country. The kingdom of God is not when a Christian becomes the richest man in Nigeria. There's nothing that alludes to that in all of the scriptures. The kingdom of God is not when Christians are the ones running the local government. We've been there. We have done it. That is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is when God's presence reigns in a people. I guess what I'm saying to you. One Christian in politics that is living like a believer, conducting himself like a believer, is better than one million Christians behaving like unbelievers in politics. 
Did you hear what I said now? This idea of let Christians go and take over politics, it has not the points. All of you will say, your church goes, you go and convey the place and be behaving like unbelievers. One Christian standing as a child of God in politics is better than one million of living like unbelievers. The kingdom of God is when men tabernacle, when God tabernacles with men. I hope you understand that. Let's bow down our heads and let's pray. I'm sorry I've taken time. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you. Hey.